If I'm a car dealership and I'm a marketer there, I would expect my AI agent to show up for me in the morning and say, hey, we just, you know, we noticed like three or four things last night. This competitor sold these cars. The price on leads is dropped here. We want to take $4,000 and dedicate it to this, or we want to launch these 15 new email campaigns. Do we have your approval? And wow. you can then just say, sure, yeah, yes, launch, don't launch, snooze, delegate, pass it over to my owner to approve it, whenever it is, the AI will be able to do that. What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast, which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. Let's get into today's episode. Aharon Horowitz is the founder and CEO of Fullpath, an automotive tech company that focuses on improving the car buying experience for consumers by helping dealers properly leverage their data. In this conversation, we spoke about the secret weapon dealers are using to compete with big box stores, the crazy amount of personal data the dealers have about you, how AI and ChatGPT is changing the car business, and my personal ambitious vision for AI-powered car buying. I love this conversation really energized about the future of car buying. I think you will too. Here's my conversation with Aharon Horowitz. All views of Car Dealership Guy and guests on this podcast are solely their opinions. None of the views expressed should be treated as financial advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, Aharon on the pod. Aharon, I want to understand something. How does a small Israeli tech startup manage to infiltrate the U.S. car market so well? Give me the background here. <laughs> That's a great question. You know, we were not originally intending to focus on automotive. We just thought we could build some great technology out of uh, Israel for small medium businesses more generally. Why would you think that? Why would you think that? I, look, Israel Israel's this really... I mean, as you can hear, I'm originally from the U.S. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, for various family reasons and and sort of personal reasons. And I I'd moved to Israel after um, high school, studied there, but served in the uh, military, and then I came back to college in the U.S. But I always knew I wanted to to go back and live over there. And after college, I did, and I was just blown away by the level of like technology talent and also just like grit and determination. It's just a very startupy country, I guess, kind of given the context of where it is and, and its history and how it, it's built itself over the last 70 years, it just produces like people who who don't get stuck on obstacles. And we were just like really caught up. I was caught up. My co-founders, uh, Yishai and Eliav, were just caught up in the energy of like, we could we just build something great with technology. We were really obsessed with small, medium businesses and the impact they have on like communities. And we thought they were just like a net good of capitalism. And so we, we, we wanted to just build a startup that would build great tech that was very automated and give SMBs the power of like big companies like Walmart and you know and, and Amazon and Netflix. We wanted like every business to have that power. And that was like our ideological vision when we founded the company. We had zero knowledge of the auto industry at that time, you know, going way back. And one of our advisors um, who who had spent a bunch of time in the auto industry, he was like, "You have to go to car dealers. They like need this stuff." I was like, "No way. They're not going to be interested." I don't know anything about car dealers. <laughs> so at some point he convinced me to fly to Cleveland where I'm from. And I just got a bunch of dealers like, um, I don't know, Jay Honda. I went out to Colorado, uh, met the uh, the LA folks, uh, Quirk in uh, Boston. A bunch of dealers just let me like hang out, almost like intern in their BDCs and with their salespeople. And I was just like obsessed. I was like, this is going to be it. We're going to we're gonna be called an auto tech company. And we just did it. <laughs> so we get, you know, we get Amazing. the good tech, get a great market, <laughs> a lot of energy, a lot of opportunity. And, and that was the story. Now explain to me, like, what is the problem fundamentally that you're solving for dealers and consumers? Listen, dealers have an unbelievable amount of data 
on their shoppers that can really help them give the shoppers a better experience. Yet all that data is just like laying all over the room in disorganized piles. We're sometimes like, you know, a piece of data about someone is in one corner, the other rest of the data is in another corner. And what we basically do is put software in for the dealership. We connect to their systems. We get all that data organized, get a 360 view of every customer settled for the um, dealership. And then having data is just like half the story. Uh, like, you know, I used to watch that cartoon G.I. Joe when I was growing up, you know, uh, I just, you know, it was only half the battle is uh, having the data. The other half of the battle is actually leveraging the data and using it for something. So we uh, we then built all these automations to like take that data about their customers and just do the marketing work in a way that a machine can do that is way beyond what a person can do. So it really just solves for the dealers. Like it's like upside opportunity for them. I mean, if you think about it, like a lot of these dealers we work with, they have, you know, 10, 15 years of of leads in their CRM. That's very, very powerful, very significant. Yeah, tell me about they it. They don't know how to access that and use it. Yeah, it's like, you know, oh, I have 370,000 people in my CRM. How many of those are you like actively figuring out how to engage? I don't know, maybe like 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 a month. It's, it's not it's not a data strategy. And, and that's really what we've we've thought about for dealers. By the way, I'll, I'll go further with that. Please. Like, if you think about it, you know, your average shopper buys like nine nine car i think i don't know cox or someone put it out it's like nine cars over the course of a of a shopper's lifetime and you add in like service revenue and you think about gross profits not the past few years but over over time you're probably talking about a fifty thousand dollar opportunity for a dealership on a shopper yeah. and you know you explain that to a family exactly that's the ltv that you could go after now most dealers don't really have a way to look at their uh data and say oh wow here's how much ltv i have left on my current customer base this this shopper is at this part of his or her cycle of purchase, and you know, and and so we think technology can do that automatically, and and that's what our tech comes to do. We basically put in these systems, get all the data into one picture, and then we run digital advertising, email, uh, on-site engagement, but we do it from a place of data and insight and having a thesis about how to get the right experience for that shopper. Now, what shoppers should experience is a much more coherent buying process. Yeah, and that and that's my question, right? So. Well, before we get there, actually, so you mentioned that uh, we have like a cohort of customers from our used car dealership that I was, I'm talking in like the hundreds of thousands of emails. We attempted to retarget them, um, you know, years later to your point, like we saw this opportunity, Hey, we have all this first party data. How can we leverage it? And, you know, for the audience that's listening first party, just meaning it's data within our own systems that, you know, people have given us at some point of interacting with our dealership historically, what we realized is that going back that far, people were like, who are you? Like, what are you doing? Like they forgot that they actually signed up for this, even though they fully legitimately signed up for this. Have you ran into any of these type of issues where, you know, you're maybe trying to leverage first party data from a dealership, but the data is so outdated that maybe you present some challenges with consumers. Like how, how's that played out for you? Yeah. It's an interesting question. I mean, I'd say two things. Number one, part of it depends on how compelling the, the first message is or the second or the third, because people don't often see the messages that come in initially. Uh, so if you could generate on those 300,000 people using like a, a model, like a collaborative filtering model, right? That's how Amazon or Netflix say, hey, people who bought this also buy that, right? If you could look at all your inventory right now and say, this guy from 10 years ago is most likely to be interested in this particular vehicle I have on the lot now, you could do that and make that the message. They might find that a much more valuable email than if it was just like, hey, we've got a special going. This is who we are, right? 
That's just not a relevant email to most people from 10 years ago. Now, the other thing that happens is it also cleans your list. It gives you real list hygiene. So you want people to unsubscribe and you want to make it a really clear unsubscribe so that when a shopper gets an email um, based on data, if they're still not excited, then let them unsubscribe and that cleans up your list and lets you have a evergreen current list. And and I'll note there that like we we don't see crazy unsubscribe rates when you're getting really targeted one-to-one messaging. We think that people find that to be actually relevant and interesting uh, if it's based on something. So explain this to me. What do you mean by like, like how targeted is this as a consumer right now? Okay. Any, any consumers listening or even myself, I'm curious, like what would I expect if I was dealing with a dealership that's, you know, leveraging this technology, right? What would that experience look like for me? Full funnel. Look, the, the unfortunate thing is that shoppers are working on so many different platforms that don't talk to each other. You know, so you're going to research on a third party, like a, a gurus or cars.com, and then you're going to go to a KVB and then you're going to go to a dealer. Most of those do not sync. And so no matter what shoppers should expect to have a bit of a disjointed experience. Um, but let's say I'm a, uh, a shopper and I go to a dealership website. Most shoppers go to four or five dealership websites as they, as they research. And I go to a dealership website and let's say I browse on certain types of cars. I look at trucks, right? Certain models. The dealership knows that that's in their data. Uh, and they see that in their systems, whether they record it, in a in a intelligent way or not, that's a question of what tech they're using. But I should expect in, at least in a dealership that's working with full path, I should expect the next email that goes out not to be about a sedan or a special that has nothing, no relevance to me. I should expect it to be about probably the vehicle or the class of vehicles I was looking at. And in five years, I should also expect probably to get some information about that as I'm going through that life cycle, uh, a relevant car that that fits sort of what I what I want or what's predicted I'm going to be interested in based on other people's behavior. So that that's like an intelligent system. Moreover, if I fill out my name uh, in in one form, I shouldn't have to fill out again in another form. Uh, ideally, when I'm you know browsing through the site, and I should be uh, able to uh, know that the salesperson understands what I've been looking for uh, and what I'm interested in when I walk in the door and I don't have to have a, a start from zero conversation. And so it's all that layer of like connected retail that we've kind of come to expect that uh, doesn't often exist right now in, uh, in in auto because the systems are so broken apart from each other. So that that's what we saw. That's the bridge that we're going after. And as a shopper, it's meant to be a, a better experience. By the way, it can be a little creepy, right? Someone knows something about me <laughs> and you know, you're seeing that now with the AI stuff, which we'll talk about later, I, I assume. But it, you know, there, there's a lot of every every website knows a lot about each shopper. Yeah, what they do with it is uh, a matter of law, and it's a matter of uh, how how respectful they are of shopper privacy. Yeah, and look, here's the thing, right? The the car business is very fragmented. You have tens of thousands of dealers throughout the country. Yes, there's a trend of consolidation, but we, we're still a super fragmented industry. And to your point, it's not like one corporation is just connected throughout every single state, every city, and offering this experience. So. I'm sure everyone on this call, whether you're a dealer uh, or a consumer or an investor or whoever is listening, I'm sure they've had this type of experience. And by the way, as you were speaking about the the shopper experience, what's the deal with like dealers having like seven calls to actions or call to actions on their website? Like you have to have an opinion on that. Listen, from a shopper experience, it's very frustrating uh, when there's so much going on. And I think there are examples of uh, sites that are much cleaner. But I will say this, that unfortunately... The thesis is seeing this from the other side of the table. All vendors have to make decisions on what they, what their principles are. Because when you're on the other side of the table, 
the balloons and the the funny man, you know, the vacuum that's making them blow up, whatever those are called in front of dealerships that the, the those things. Man. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They actually work on websites. As in, if you bug someone to give you their information over and over again, they're just, they're like, all right, whatever, fine, take it and and let me move on and just like get talked to a human. So I think the the regression to the mean is unfortunately to be extremely aggressive. What many of us, and I'm not just speaking for us as full path, but many vendors do is we accept a certain loss in uh, lead conversion for the dealer in order to give a better shopping experience. And that's a, you know, that's a, a principle that I think will just increase more and more and more over time. Now, if you build a really savvy, clean website that really knows how to work with user experience, then you will get much better connections than driving someone, much better conversions than driving someone crazy, but it's few and far between. And the reason is, is that so many different people control so many different parts uh, of the process. And by the way, just in general, like, Going back to your question of like that that list you guys had, you know, a couple hundred thousand that you tried to to get people to act act on. If you combine systems, if you control more of the funnel, you're going to get better results. Like for example, we found that dealers that use their CRM, so like they 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 take their CRM audiences and every day, three four times a day, they upload those to Facebook and to Google for their advertising. Um, they're going to see a much lower CPL cost per lead than dealers that are just using uh, non-proprietary first-party data. Uh, if we also see, for example, that like if you email CRM customers and combine it with retargeting, then you get a much higher close rate on those emails, right? People see your name on the ads and then they're more likely in their inbox to actually open that email and come through. So it's all about combining systems and making it easy. Basically putting the breadcrumbs and, and sprinkling everywhere makes total sense. Exactly. I want to dive more into just marketing dealerships, like what's effective, least effective, but what's the context on full path? Like what's your dealer account? How many dealers do you have signed up? Your growth rate, you know, how much money you got in the bank account? What's your social security number? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, social security number. Five, 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 five. Uh, my, uh, no, our, our, uh, we, look, we, we, uh, feel very blessed to now have, uh, about a thousand dealers that we work with. Uh, and that's been a, a real journey because um in many ways like we always think like the dealers are our like product managers and you know we we just try to hear the challenges and problems and build enough stuff that they want to tell their friends about it and and uh, we did recently uh expand our sales team but a lot of our growth over the first few years was just literally word of mouth and, and within groups so we're working with about a thousand dealers uh which you know which is i don't know if it's public information but now it is but anyway it's about a thousand dealers and we've grown. Yeah, uh, I, I I did some homework on you guys. I saw yeah. I saw you scooped up someone from Dealer Inspire and you know some other great talents. That's so, you true. Know, I yes, did my research. My, uh, Mike and, and <laughs> we have some great great yeah. folks uh, on the team. And uh, other great people, I'm sure. Just someone that you know piqued my interest. And yeah, then, we have a really really blessed to have a, a great team and um, folks who were very diverse in in terms of the perspectives. And then and then what's your your growth rate? Yeah, so we've been growing like we've actually been doubling the past three years. We've doubled. Uh, each year over 90%, you know, 94%, 95%. So it's been really good. That's been, that's um, not necessarily dealer account, but that's in, in revenues. And, you know, as we both add dealers and release new products, we add more value to the dealership. They reward us by, you know, paying for that value. So that's the the basis of the business. By the way, most of our business model, unlike I think some of the, some of the others in the industry, like a lot of our business model is, uh, is sort of a SaaS fee model. We try to do that wherever possible. We stay away from 
more from percentage based uh, what spend do you mean like explain explain this to us our audience loves the juicy de- details yeah yeah so like our digit product uh other than where we're so some oems force us to to go with um spend tiers but we prefer it just to be a flat fee no matter how much you spend so you know we we have a, a flat fee uh we can you know, if it's a tiny dealership it might be one fee if it's uh, a reasonable size dealership and up it's a different fee and then that's it you know spend as much as you want as little as you want and uh it's a software fee so we really focus on like a tech fee as opposed to an ad dig ad type of uh, fee that's on our digital advertising and then for our audience activation which is that email infrastructure uh where we can really activate audiences and and take you know 100,000 people and get everyone a pinpointed targeted message that's also just a month it doesn't matter how many email you said what you have it's just a a monthly fee. So we really work on like a flat fee model. We think it's cleanest for us and easiest for the dealer. Uh, they don't have to worry about, you know, incentives being misaligned. Now, you know, I obviously love marketing, right? I, mean, you can I don't tell. think it's a surprise with what I do. <laughs> yes, yeah. indeed. Uh, but I'm curious from your perspective, just, I see one business. That's my, that's my sort of my aperture here. You see, you know, thousand, a thousand different dealerships. So what has been the most effective types of marketing that you've seen from the dealership perspective? And also, I'm curious, what have, what's been the least effective types of marketing? It, it's very clear that people still want to know what their payments are. So I'll just say that as a general point that like anything that has like information about payments, shoppers really feel, you know, feel good about. But what we see to be the most effective is, um, is really like, again, say, speaking to the dealer audience here, it's just, it's really first party data driven marketing. So if you can activate your first party data, you know, you know, from your CRM or your DMS, what have you, that like this person is probably paying this amount a month and you can suggest for them, uh, a lease offer or a relevant vehicle. That's like very much on target with what they care about and how they pay. That's what converts. And you could do it in almost any medium. So you could do it in advertising and you'll get a higher click than you will other stuff. You could do it in, uh, in, in email and you'll get it, you'll get, you'll get results but you're not going to get results off general stuff. Dig a little deeper into that, right? Like how much are you really able to tell about a customer? Uh, well, I think you're able to tell a lot. I mean, think about uh, all the information that, uh, imagine uh, I mean, we're able to see um, where they are. We're able to see their name. We're able to see their uh, their email. We're able to see uh, what pages they've looked at on the website. You know, and so again, no one looks at this. No one's granularly looking at the human, but the system is looking at it. So for example, if they're looking at the financing page and maybe they're even hovering over certain things, right? Images they're clicking on or specials they're clicking on. Those signals are tracked by uh, the dealership systems and by the vendor system, right? And then you can, if you have the ability, which is one of the things that we've been, um, most of our, our efforts are in this, is to take those signals and then actually construct dynamically the marketing message for each person. Um, now on digital advertising, you can't really get personalized at that level on our end, but definitely with the outbound email, uh, you can, and definitely with when someone comes to the website, you can. So if you could actually figure out, Hey, a per- this person is in the market for, uh, a minivan and they can pay this amount. And therefore these offers are probably relevant to them, or these vehicles are relevant. And you show those, you will get an interested person to call the dealership and wow. actually stop by And that level of targeting. We do every single day. Uh, and again, I, I never like to be like, we're the only ones where I'm not here to sell. I'm just saying we do that every day. I'm sure others are doing that every day, but it's very, very granular. And that's, that's probably 
ultimately good for the consumer if you're dealing with um, you know companies that that respect privacy and and do things right. Uh, and and I think that that's a that's a key piece. Yeah, like I personally, I love targeted ads. I don't think they're creepy. Again, to a certain extent, but I I like that where it's you're just saving me time if you do it effectively. So what you're doing is you know you found this like untapped resource, and you're just you know within that dealerships have organically you know accrued over the years, and you're helping them monetize that in effective ways by increasing conversion, increasing shoppers you know, increasing sales. And I think it makes total sense because you're doing that and making a better customer experience. So yeah, and I see this as uh, as fighting there. We're just giving, we're arming dealers with the tools that every business uses. And there's no reason why a, a, an amazing industry that employs a couple million people that pays like really good wages, that's rooted in communities in a way that most American businesses have long kind of <laughs> turned their backs on. There's no reason those folks should suffer from not having the powerful tools that every, you know, every major big box has a big box retailer. And so we are very like ideologically driven to like, like give the, this industry the same power. And that that's all, that's the way that we see it. Before we transition to AI, because I know you're working on some interesting stuff there with Chad GPT and I've been, I've been reading a lot about the space. I'm you know very interested in it. What are like the core opportunities you're, you're capitalizing on, right? Is it, is it all related to first party data? Or is there, you know, is AI now sort of a tangent from that? Or explain to me, you know, high level, what are the core opportunities that you're capitalizing on? Yeah, so we give dealers like a full operating system for their like front of the house marketing and for their data. So we 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 are not like, we're not only first party, we do all the different um, marketing functions that you'd expect, right? All based on the data layer that we create. So we, we run digital advertising like it's an agency, right? Even though we use way more automation and data. We run email marketing like it's being run by like, you know, someone sitting in the loyalty department of the dealership. Like we do all those functions, but we use technology to do them and we use the data layer that we create. So the opportunity that we're going after is is what we see as the the full digitization of all the dealerships um, uh, outbound and customer facing uh, activities. Uh, in terms of AI, uh, we don't see it as a tangent. We see it as a fundamental you know, a uh, phase shift the way everything works. So artificial fucking intelligence. <laughs> Before we dive deep, give me like the five to 10 year vision. If you leverage AI successfully, five to 10 years, talk to me about the dealer experience and the consumer experience of car buying. What does that look like? We see, we from day one, we've used ML and AI in our company. Um, if you think about AI, it's kind of like a, it's like a three, let's put it to three phases. Something, yeah. you know, just kind of anyone listening to this who's in the world of AI will, will not agree with me, but just for our own sake here, let's put it into three phases. Okay. There was the phase of like, no one knows what's going on. It's under the, under the surface. There's like researchers and universities doing all sorts of weird things with like AI and language models and neural networks. And, you know, it's out there, but, but none of us know about it. That's, you know, already dating back to the, to the eighties, right. Maybe even before, um, then there was the phase where we as consumers started to experience it. So think about like uh, the neural network stuff that Google did that enabled them to do image match and and to uh, give us better results in Siri and in in uh, Google's uh, assistance and, and uh, Alexa. And then I think uh, the past two years with the generative AI, really the past three months, six months, it's just been totally transformative in terms of how consumers experience it. So it's been really like three phases. One where it was just like hidden. The second where it went into applications that we just used as applications. And now we're, we're really seeing 
its power uh, very much. So we think that the dealers, um, the auto industry is ultimately going to have an operating system that is fully AI based, meaning where the dealer is basically using the AI to run all of its systems. So I'll just give you an example. Yeah. And this is stuff that I think is quasi happening. If I'm a car dealership um, and I'm a marketer there, I would expect my AI agent to show up for me in the morning and say, hey, we just, you know, we noticed like three or four things last night. Uh, this this competitor sold these cars. Uh, the price on leads has dropped here. We want to take $4,000 and dedicate it to this, or we want to launch these 15 new email campaigns. Do we have your, uh, your approval? And wow. you can then just say, sure, yeah, yes, launch, don't launch, snooze, delegate, pass it over to my owner to approve it, whatever it is. The AI will be able to do that. And that's not just generative AI. It's not just that there's a nice chat interface. It's that all the creative already, at least in our case, uh, is uh, is already being developed in part by AI-backed uh, 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 generators. So you can really get away from having to do the drudge work and be more of an executive function. And I think that's what's going to happen. AIs are going to run the dealership as a kind of operator while the marketing directors and the the owners and the GMs are are executives in that role, uh, telling them yes, no, snooze, delegate, fix, adjust, right? That's how it's going to work in five years, less than five years. I think in two years, we're going to be there. Now, while that sounds fascinating, it doesn't sound crazy to me, right? It makes total sense. Like yeah. it's, you know, you're getting, you're getting rid of all the kind of grunt work in between and all the analysis. It's just, you know, streamlining that. So it makes total sense. What about from a consumer perspective? I go on a dealer's website, is it like the chat agent before? And we can jump into chat GPT in a second, but like, how does that experience change? I, from- I, I don't even think it's the chat agent. I think that's the, the, these early phases. I think that consumers are right now. It's not And, and by the way, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think that's the low hanging fruit here. Oh, it's the lowest hanging fruit. It's just, it's just easy. Like you can get it done again. It's technologically right now, still not simple as we've discovered, but it's, it's, it's not what's coming. And I, I think what's going to come uh is again i really ascribe to the agent approach where i think um shoppers right now i mean to find out what car to buy to get information it's really not easy uh, on google it's just there's so much seo that has been done uh over the years and there's so much so many ways and to um to just fall down a rabbit hole and not get the information you need i think that um the ability of ai to synthesize and summarize right? Again, we all know it can also hallucinate, right? And make stuff up. But the ability to synthesize and summarize is just going to make it easy for shoppers to, to like get the answers they want really, really quickly. And then the agents will be able to do searches for cars. Like you will have agents that will find cars, bring you vehicles, may even negotiate with the dealer's agent ultimately, you know, settle on a price. I mean, I, I think it's going to go to that point where a lot of the work of the shopping process uh, will be handled and done by the agents. And then it, you'll just be able to you know, do the end uh, as a uh, as a consumer, or do what you want to do. So I think that's it's just going to get easier to find research. It's going to get it's going to get easier to understand what you need as a, as a shopper, and that it's going to get easier to find the actual vehicles that are available on the lot. Um, and if you think about where things are going, like there's no reason why the agents of the dealership don't know what inventory they have, don't aren't able to answer a question about a payment and whether it, it would work for a person, like. All this stuff that takes a long time and phone calls and conversations and visits, that that really is accessible to uh, to these AI agents and will be solved by them. Uh, and we think that's going to happen not in the next five years. We think that's going to happen much sooner. 
What are you building or what did you, what have you built for dealers using Chat GPT? Like what's the current tool that you're offering on the market? We have so many things we've built internally we haven't even released. <laughs> so we're uh we're doing a lot of stuff. First of all, for our own stuff, we now summarize massive amounts of internal information at our company for our uh team members and managers. So like if if a you know if a call happens in our company with a dealer and there's extra information in CRM or whatnot, it just gets synthesized with next actions with a grade of how much uh, how many challenges there were that we have to follow up on. And it, it's being used for our own internal business process really effectively now. So what we've released for dealers is uh, is one thing. Uh, we've released a, a chat bot, uh, what I like to think of as like a shopper assist on the dealership website. Um, that chat bot has all the generative like conversational powers of what you experience when you use ChatGPT 3.5 or 4. But behind the scenes, we've done one thing. Um, and that is, is we've taken the dealers own inventory and data, right? What sits in what we call our CDP layer, right? Our customer data platform layer and our car data platform layer. Uh, and we've made that accessible and available to the chatbot in very specific ways. So for example, if I'm shopping on the website as a consumer and I am looking at a Corvette uh, and let's say I come back the next day, the chatbot now knows that I'm interested in Corvettes and it's priming behind the scenes, the dealer's Corvette inventory at the dealer's Corvette specials, right? To be ready to show to me, should I want it? My own specific dealership data, my own specific dealership specials. Uh, and the shopper can now ask a question like, hey, how does this compare to the, you know, whatever, to, to a different vehicle? You know, how, how does, uh, you know, how does the uh, uh, Corvette compare to something I'm looking at even a different OEM? And, and, and it will have information and answers. But then it might say, hey, here's the three Corvettes we have. Or, hey, are you interested in knowing what specials we're running? And it, it can actually answer that with information. Uh, and that's information we're providing. It can also know that that shopper, for example, was looking not just at Corvettes, but at another vehicle. It was also considering a truck. Maybe there's like two things going on there. And it knows that. And it can then uh, maybe suggest a, uh, a, an opportunity on, on a truck as well. So that level of interaction is much more natural and fully fledged than basically just what happens today which is like, hey, here's some cars, pictures of cars. Maybe it's the right cars, not the right cars. Can we get your name and information so someone can call you, right? This is an actual informative shopper co-pilot uh, that will give them a better experience and answer questions. Okay, so it's not like the traditional chatbots that I've, like I, I always refuse to use those at our dealership because I felt like the experience was just so subpar and I hate them personally myself. But what you're saying is like, look, the biggest difference here is that number one, we've all played with chat GPT and we know that, you know, its capabilities. But the difference here is that it's, you're saying it's connected to that, to specific dealerships inventory and specials. And so it's able to tailor that specifically for you, your wants and needs as a consumer. And it knows um, quite a bit of information about what you're more likely to uh, want because it, it under... I'm trying to explain in a way that isn't too overly techy. It doesn't really know anything about you, but as you browse, we tell it, I mean, we tell it for this here at Bard or ChatGPT, whatever we're using in the background, right? We tell it, hey, here's this person, you know, is, is Billy. And Billy is interested in the following three vehicles and also cares about financing, uh, cares a lot about financing and specials. Now have a conversation with Billy, go. Okay, and, and and it will forget that the next session unless we we remind it, right? Because it's a, it's what they call stateless, right? So we have to like these. What's interesting about these GPT bots? They have a lot of um, 
they have a lot of complexity and like attention, like think of it as attention span, right? So, all, you know, the way they, they make conversations, is they have lots of words and they just guess, they don't guess, they calculate what's the next best word to use or next best even letter to use. And somehow it comes out right. No one really seems to know why. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the question is how far back can they look? So uh, a lot of these, um, you know, these AI models can only look back a certain amount of time. So if the conversation gets too long, they may lose context. You have to give the you have to give the chatbot in that moment the context about the person, and we do that, and then we tell it what to do. Uh, and so, at any given moment, that's what happens there. Now, there's a lot of uh, challenges with that on the technology side. Everyone's like, "Oh, it's just a, it's just some API." Oh no, no, no! It is not just some API. You have to deal with real uh, complexities on how you structure the data that you want the the chatbot to engage with. Is you have to deal with what did you need to pull out, right? Because in the end of the day, the dealer needs to lead. Uh, you have to deal with the fact that if you're using just the latest release uh, uh, for uh, GPT-4, that is an extremely expensive, extremely slow API. Yet if you use the earlier ones like 3.5 Turbo, some of these other ones, they're not that, they don't catch maybe multi-threads, right? And so they'll miss things. And so it's very, very complex to actually get it right and tune it to yeah. the experience on a, on a dealership website. Uh, we've had some great dealer partners that have uh, been pioneers here and and turning it on to their website and, and it's getting better <laughs> every day, our, our tuning. Um, yeah, but that's what we're doing. That's our first foray. Why are we doing it? I don't know. We, we always wanted to do it. We we used to use something called Google Dialog Flows, which was a Google uh -huh. uh, thing. And we, this just seemed like better at, at this stage. So we just were like, let's just do it. Why not? You know. <laughs> Here's my crazy idea, right? So it, it's actually not that crazy, but but bear with me. Yeah, go for it. So I spoke with one of the founders of one of the largest DMS companies and I'm sure you can put two and two together who it is, yep. you know, up and coming. Already put it together. Yeah. And what they told me was that, and I didn't know this, but they told me that when they started, they actually uh, acquired a dealer group in order to test their product, which I loved. Uh, but but it gave me this idea, right? I was thinking about you. I said, hmm, imagine if you launched a dealership or you acquired a dealership, you know, it could be a small dealership and you just completely like overhauled their website. Like that was your testing grounds. Now I'm sure you have, you know, test demo websites, obviously, but I'm thinking like in five years, you know, whenever, whatever, whatever time span, like the way I envision car buying using AI is that I go to a website and I, I don't see anything. Yeah. yeah. Maybe there's some in preview of inventory, but it's just a, it's just like a, a text field. And it's like, what do you want? Yep. Let me serve you. And it's like, Hey, I want a 2020 uh, you know, Jeep Grand Cherokee under 40,000 miles. Um, it has to have, you know, this color seats. I need to deliver to my house within two weeks. I can't pay more than $400 a month and I'm willing to put this much down. And it's like, da, 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 da. Well, okay, yeah. here's what we have for you. Well, are you ready to complete the purchase? Just pops up like an Apple pay. Like that's the type of future that I want to live in. I'll know? tell you that I agree with you. I mean, I think I think it'll be a little there'll be a little bit more um suggestions along the way because people do want to look at multiple things, but hundred percent we um we've built something like that internally. Like we've we're playing with that stuff. Uh, you know, not to give our road roadmap away too much, uh, as you you're guessing on our roadmap. Give it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, we are playing with that. I'll tell you other crazy things, like one of our one of our <laughs> one of our developers for fun. We, we collect all the data on every car in the United States every day, right? So we we crawl the web, we get every car, we get the price changes. You know, we, we want to have all that data because we use it for our, our algorithms. He took he took an OEM, he took all their vehicles and he put it all in a in a DB, the, the types of DBs you need for ChatGPT. 
and basically let me go as a shopper uh, and just do exactly what you described. And it was unreal. I was like, hey, I live in, uh, you know, in, near Cleveland Heights, Ohio, uh, and I'm looking for this. And here's what I could pay. And it was like, boom, there it is. Here's the dealerships. Here's the cars. And he he did that in uh, because we have the infrastructure. You know, he did that in basically 48 hours. And I suddenly had every OEM vehicle available at my fingertips. And I could just talk to the bot and have it do whatever I wanted. It was a real agent for me. It was an unbelievable experience as a shopper. Mm -hmm. And it obviously gave us a lot of ideas for how the OEMs can can uh, you know can, can do some interesting things. So that that was definitely uh, the way that things are going to go in my in my opinion. Uh, similar to yours. Do you have like do you have some fringe idea, whether it be related to chat GPT AI, really the evolution of car buying and the car business using this uh, technology, but do you have some fringe idea? Is something that you think will create, you know, like billions in value for the industry? I think that there's gonna be a lot of opportunity for buying and selling discovery stuff. So like if I'm a inventory person, I'm gonna be having an agent crawling the the US car inventory not just like dealer inventory, but like everything out there in what, you know, Cox calls the car park, right? Uh, out there in the world looking for what I want. And they're just going to be like buying it and auto transporting it to me uh, using these AI agents. So I just think the AI agents are going to do a lot of that work. In terms of the consumer side, I mean, you know, as I discussed before, I think a lot of consumer shopping is going to happen through the agents uh, and they'll do all the research yeah. and work and bring you cars. But, you know, that I, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. It's going to be very interesting. How's the adoption been of your Chad GPT tool? Poof, insane, insane. We are we are going kind of slow right now, though that should change uh, next week, uh, just because we're like really trying to get it right. So you're saying dealers have appetite for this? Oh my god, yes, 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 yes. They're signing up. They're interested. They want to talk about it. some 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 when they see it are like, oh whoa, that's a bridge too far for me. Or hey, wait, let's let me see how it goes a little longer. But many of them are just like, oh yeah, I love that shopping experience because you know what. You can get any chatbot on the internet, be it a mm -hmm. human-backed one, be it a to, to do stupid stuff if you want it to. I mean, you could do whatever you want. You can make them do stupid stuff. You can take a screenshot of that and be like, oh, that, look how stupid that chatbot is. But you know what? The average customer, of which we see tens of thousands of customer conversations on a regular basis, you know, for order or whatever, they're, they're mm -hmm. just like, they're asking normal questions and they're getting normal answers from our chatbot. Uh, you know, and here we don't have tens of thousands yet, but we're we're... I don't, you can imagine what we're doing in the background, which is we're taking chats that we have from our pre-GPT uh, era, and we're mm -hmm. running them through to see what happens in order to model uh, how it works. So anyways, that's like one of the techniques that we've been using to to get this right. Um, and it's just really powerful to see that for like regular shoppers, it's doing a really good job. It's just a much more consumer-friendly experience, and it's still getting leads for the dealers. I mean, dealer conversations are high. Uh, excuse me, dealer uh, chatbot to shopper conversations are high and conversions to leads are, are doing really well. So we have right now about uh, under 100 dealers using it, but that should go up really quickly uh, in the next few weeks. I mean, it's it's our, we've been limiting supply just to get it right. Yeah, I think that's fair. Look, I think I've also, you mentioned just adoption has been high. It makes sense. I've, I've had conversations with dealers and, you know, like their managers in stores and and consumers beforehand are using chat GPT now for like consumers are using it as an example for, you know, scripts for emailing the dealers. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. And dealers are using it also for various things, you know, maybe responses or whatnot. But I haven't seen, you know, some technology like this just get adopted by, you know, everyday people so well and so quickly that 
it's crazy to think what it's going to be like to buy a car, sell a car within five years. Just that entire experience, it sounds to me like it's going to be a very streamlined business. I don't necessarily think that dealers will know more about you than they do today. And I could be wrong. That's my personal opinion. But I just think that that entire, all that friction in the middle will be eliminated. Yeah. Uh, and it will create a much better car buying experience. And, and frankly, I think it's going to level the playing field uh, a bit between, you know, the Carvana CarMaxes and smaller dealers. Because oh, no doubt. if you have this yeah. technology layer that's commoditized and anyone can license it um, and you're paying on a, you know, per usage basis, I don't see why CarMax or whoever can have this light years better technology, you know, unless they significantly build on top of that. But it just feels like in a way, companies like Fullpath, like what you're building on and others, you're sort of democratizing that for the everyday dealer, which is sounds to me like it could even be a tailwind for the small business in the industry, especially at a time where there's a lot of headwinds and we're seeing all this consolidation happen. Yeah. And I think what's going to happen is that A, there will be less noise, as you said, just less noise in the research, less noise in the back and forth. And in the end, what will happen is that I think the agents, the shopper agents will basically just tell a person, hey, go show up here at this time and you're going to test drive the two vehicles you want to test drive. And then it'll tell them the next day, go show up at this other dealership nearby. You'll test drive those two. And then you will tell it, hey, I want this. It will go negotiate that price with the dealer agent. Incredible. With the oversight of the people at every point. And then you'll have a car. Now, I think that it would behoove the OEMs in general to think about like just kind of simplifying the features of their cars uh, and making it like easier to understand the packages. And that that'll help the whole process ultimately be be simpler and easier. And but you know, we have a, we have a ways to go on that. It's still pretty complicated to uh, understand what the car what you're getting in the car you're buying. Uh, as opposed to say like a Tesla where it's a little bit uh, was designed in an era of more simple packages. I think the mainstream OEMs are still going in that direction. And that, by the way, will make things easier for for everybody in the process. Aaron, this was very insightful. Appreciate you coming on. If the audience wants to learn more about Full Path yourself, where can they go to learn more? Yeah, so go to fullpath.com and uh, check us out. And you can definitely, uh, if you're in, if you are a dealer and you're interested in getting on our wait list for the GBT, we'd love to get it in front of you. So there's a, a link there on our uh, website. But if they mention car dealership guy, we're gonna we're gonna let them cut the line, right? We'll bump, we'll bump <laughs> it up. Absolutely, hundred percent. Right, yeah, I mentioned. Good. Good. I love it. Hey, thank you. This was awesome. I had, I had a good time. This was awesome. And and you know what's gonna be interesting? I'll ping you. First of all, I'm sure we'll be in touch. You know, very frequently over the you know the coming months and weeks. But more importantly, in the future, I'm gonna be very curious to see when we look back at this episode. You know, a year, two years. And oh, we yeah. say, wow, like, did, did that come, you know, did that manifest? You know, did this actually happen? Did that not happen? What does this look like? And I think that's going to be very interesting to see because things are just tr- happening so, so quickly right now. So and quickly. I think it's going to be an exciting time. Yeah. We see ourselves yeah. as like one of the R&D labs for the industry. And so we want to push the envelope, but I agree with you. We got to look back and see what actually happened. So I look forward to that. I appreciate you coming on. Take care. Appreciate you. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode please give the podcast a rating, consider subscribing to the show and check the show notes for links to what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.